everyone, welcome to another episode of New Slang. I'm your host, music journalist Thomas Mooney, and we close out the week being joined by singer-songwriter Jamie Wyatt. So Jamie released a new album earlier this year, an excellent one called Neon Cross. I really enjoyed talking with Jamie about the album and the writing of these songs. She's obviously incredibly open and honest in her songwriting, and that really carries over into how she talks about these songs and about the artistic process in general. Obviously, often it can be difficult to go back and revisit trauma of the past, even when it is a part of a song. Uh, Sometimes you'd rather just gloss over it, right? Just let the song be. And I'm not saying that it's easy or even difficult for Jamie to discuss these songs or her past run-ins with the law or addiction and what have you. I guess I could have asked her that. But what I am saying is, is that she does do it. And as a journalist, a listener, as a fan in general, that is obviously much appreciated. You know, I didn't plan it out this way. It just sort of happened. But it is interesting how this week's guests, Jamie here and Wayland Payne on the episode right before this, so much of their new albums are shaped by these large spans of time in Los Angeles. And both drug addiction, relapses, and sobriety have like largely shaped the feelings that they express throughout their records. You know, we often champion the the quote-unquote outlaws in country music due to their excessive partying and the middle finger to authority and their all-around good nature feel, and then have a very extremely difficult time supporting these folks when they're addicts or alcoholics once the party's over. And, you know, like so much of that time has shaped both these records, you know, like the, the isolation, the loneliness, the lonesomeness, you know, here on Neon Cross, there's a lot of heartache and grief and restlessness and self-loathing. And that's to me like an essential element to hear and understand the pain in Jamie's voice and in those words that she's written. But also there are these moments where her spirit isn't drained or defeated There's strength and grace and beauty and a toughness and a determination that you hear in these words as well. That often comes in these like tongue-in-cheek winks and just humorous moments in general. Take like a song like L-I-V-I-N or Hurt So Bad. There's a lot of that in those songs. And then there's like that bold confidence that we just really need in a song like Rattlesnake Girl. At any rate, Jamie's as genuine as they come. And that really is the strength behind Neon Cross. Not to mention a ridiculously sharp sound that obviously has its nods to 70s country, but is not like tied to any of the rules of that day. She's still like bold and fearless with Shooter Jennings as the producer. They still aren't like just tied down to that 70s style. Today's presenting sponsor is Desert Door Texas Soto. If you know anything about me, it's probably that I'm from the heart of West Texas and absolutely love everything about West Texas. And that's really why I love Desert Door so much. You may be asking yourself what exactly Soto is. Well, it's a premium spirit that's similar to a tequila or a mezcal. But for my money, it's a little bit more refined and smooth. There's a sweetness and faint hints of vanilla and citrus. And it's also as versatile as your garden variety vodka. At its core, Desert Door is authentically West Texas. They go out and harvest soto plants, 
from the wild and bring them back to their distillery over in Driftwood, Texas. So next time you're at your local liquor store, get a bottle of Desert Door. For more info, check this episode's show notes. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, I strongly suggest hitting that subscribe link. If you just did, I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. New Slang is over on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and basically any and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check out the New Slang merch store, grab a koozie, some stickers, buttons, and magnets. Any bit helps. I'll throw a link into the show notes. And if you're into playlists, go check out Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee and the Neon Eon playlists over on Spotify. The Neon Eon is for all your nostalgic 90s country needs, which there's going to be more Neon Eon related stuff coming your way pretty soon. And then Tom Mooney's Cup of Coffee is a regularly updated mix of new Americana and country music. It's also a really great hint at who I have coming up on the podcast. So yeah, go follow those. Okay, I think that just about does it. Let's go on and get on to the interview. Here is Jamie Wyatt. Yeah, I, I, let's just go ahead and start off with, you know, you released this record back in the spring and, you know, I'm sure you envisioned releasing this record in a, a different world, a a pre-pandemic world. And obviously that kind of just threw a giant wrench in any kind of touring or promotion as far as being out on the road. Um, yeah. What... I, like, what have you been doing the last few months to, you know, that that's occupied the time that you would have been out on tour? Oh, man. I mean, really, it's it's been repivoting, like, the whole release plan. You know, being that there was no touring, it was like I had to go back to the drawing board and figure out how I was going to promote this album and still still reach people. Uh, without touring so thank goodness there's you know ways to do that with technology nowadays and um, I feel really grateful to to have something to promote and talk about online and and hopefully you know be a nice distraction um, for folks and provide some entertainment Um, so it's like you know we're doing a lot of live streams Um, I've got I actually recently did like a recorded concert um, with a badass band that went up on Nashville scene and it'll go, um, and different parts of it will go up on, um, different outlets, but we've got a link up on Nashville scene. That's a really great band. And it's a, like Sturgill Simpsons drummer, Miles Miller and, um, and, uh, Wheeler Walker's bass player, um, and, uh, and Midland's, uh, keyboard player. And so I, I was able to put together a really rad band and, and do like a, a, a set, um, so that people can watch it online and, and hopefully that's the like precursor to, you know, folks wanting to come see a live show when we can play. Yeah. You know, what's it's so strange is that, um, everyone has had to do that little bit of that pivot or the trying to find something to occupy their time. And I guess like yeah. the, 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 the silver lining in all this is that people are available, that they're kind of stuck in Nashville or wherever they live. And, so right. like for you, like being able to just kind of make that, as you put it, badass band together, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you, you have more of those opportunities to yeah. do something like that. Dude, that's so true. Actually, like, they're, like, yeah, it's, you know, 
I I didn't think I'd be able to get Sturgill Simpson's drummer, but because yeah, all of us are at home sort of twiddling our thumbs, you know, people want to play. And, um, so yeah, you know, there's definitely some positive things to this pandemic, but yeah, definitely threw a wrench in, in the release plan. Um, (laughs) but yeah, so a lot of, a lot of filming, um, and a lot of lot of interviewing um, podcasts like this and uh, radio interviews. We've been live streaming and doing Zoom concerts, um, doing uh, also like Zoom interviews with radio stations, um, which has kind of saved the whole radio thing. But um, even still, it's just kind of tricky when when I'm I'm still new, you know, and I've been at this sixteen years. Uh, I'm still new, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's so weird because, you know, I tried to, whenever I first started or I launched Newslink, I tried to make all of them into, let's do them in person. You know, you can read everyone yeah. so much better. And then it's just been like a, a sharp learning curve to to adjust to, let's do these on phone or on Zoom. And, you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, there's, it's, I love it so much, but like, obviously, there's still so much for you going, Oh my God, I got to just learn on the fly on how to. Yes. That is so true. And I even learned how to like, man, I never thought I'd want to be like one of those influencers, people that like talk into the video camera, um, you know, (laughs) on Instagram, but like I'm doing it because, because I want, you know, because I get tired of, of just reading text on my phone. And so I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll talk to the people. <laughs> and um, so I've been doing more of that, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and just like talking about what I'm doing or talking about the album that way. But yeah, it's been a lot of a lot of new learning, a lot of new things right now, um, in addition to getting to have a rad garden and doing some pretty awesome home improvement projects. Yeah. You know, I've in, in talking with a lot of people since March or so, a lot of people I've noticed that they, they've been doing the gardening home improvements. Um, and obviously like as, as a songwriter, I think like a lot of songwriters, if you ask them a year ago, what's one thing you, uh, wish you had to help improve your craft they would say, Oh, time. And then all of a sudden, like all this time is here. And I think like, obviously that's kind of a shock because sometimes it's not as easy as just like, you know, waking up in the morning and uh, acting like it's a nine to five, you know? So there is, I feel like all those other little creative outlets in the garden, the home improvement, painting, writing in general, just doing something else can just help get Mm -hmm. those creative juices flowing. Have you noticed that for yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I've gotten to to delve into writing songs that are like are a little bit different and, and outside of the box. And, um, you know, so that's cool. And I've been playing a lot more piano, um, Mm -hmm. which is so, so great. I'll never be Leon Russell, but like, I'm, I'm trying (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah did you ever, have you did you ever see leon play gosh no no i wish i watch i've, I've watched you know all the documentaries i like to watch live live performances on youtube of his but mm-hmm. i miss that one i miss that boat man did you i saw him once here in 
it was in Abilene a few years back. Oh. It was just, um, you know, just magical. Cause it's like, yes, he, you, for so long in his career, you know, he's kind of like this underappreciated genius. Right. And yeah, it was kind of amazing, especially I, I guess since that, that record that he did with Elton John, you know, he started yeah. getting a lot more recognition again and getting some of those proper dues. And it, like, that's what I kind of loved is the, is that, is the, oh, he's finally, and you can, you know, he, he could tell that, uh, he was being appreciated that he didn't, he wasn't just being overlooked. Yeah, that's great. That's really great to hear because honestly, that is, you know, he artists like Leon Russell and JJ Kale and like those kind of more mm-hmm. underdogs that like those, those guys are like, you know, musicians that just humble me. And, um, that inspire me so much. Um, yeah, that Leon Russell is, is, is a legend in my opinion and his talent. was just, he was just so special. And I love that you use the word magical. That's exactly how I would describe Leon Russell. So that's cool. Yeah. Cause there's like that, he's kind of, uh, there's that cosmic aspect. There's the, yeah. the, um, you know, like the wild beard and like the, a little bit of face paint and the, the tall top For hat sure. and you just get that carnival, obviously you have that record carnival or, yep. uh, so like you get a little bit of that vibe and, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was, it was really just, it was a great night seeing him play. So. Gosh, um, I bet. That's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. Well, going back to, you know, you're writing on piano more is what you were, how we even got into this is like, right. Is that, um, I'm I'm assuming that's not your your first instrument, right? Um, you know, it, or is it? It's technically well, no, guitar really is and was, but I did I did play piano as a a really young person. I only regret that I uh, had to deal with my parents to like do lessons long enough to get a skateboard, and once <laughs> I got that, I was like, I'm out, done with piano. Um, but. Um, I just play by ear and with, with chords. And, um, actually sometimes that's been a great way to come up with, um, you know, really interesting melodies and whatnot, but yeah, it's not my like main instrument. If that's what you're asking guitars, I've been playing guitar since I was like, um, I mean, I got my first guitar when I was four, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. So seriously playing guitar since I was like 11. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask is, I was going to say, like, does it, does it, um, make you, I don't know, slow down as a, as when you're writing something or creating, since it's something that is a little bit more new and, and fresh to the, the process. Oh man, I've gotten some great songs out of it. I th- I mean, well, what I think, are, you know, songs that feel really good and different and feel like, you know, breaking new ground, but there's two piano songs on neon cross that I, I I wrote by your side on piano. Um, though I didn't perform it on piano on, on the album. I do play it on piano now. Um, and I, and then I performed a song. The first song on neon cross is called sweet mess. Mm -hmm. And that I did write on piano and perform it on the record. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's, it's great because I can write folk and country songs all day on the acoustic, but 
I really get to sort of explore um, and push the edges of of my style um, by getting on a piano and getting out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, you, you just mentioned Sweet Mess. I, you know, I thought that song was in a lot of ways kind of like a table setter for the record. Um, yeah. When, when you're getting down to like, you know, the, these 11 songs and all that kind of stuff, were, did you always kind of envision it as like that intro to the record or? No, I didn't. I thought it'd be like the last song on the album, but um, Tudor was like, so he loved it so much and he loved how different it was. And he was like, man, it's just so moving. What if we just start the whole album like it? And I was like, isn't that like career suicide? Like no one will listen to the record. They'll be like, too slow, turn it off. And he's like, no, nah. he's like, no, it just like, it sucks you in. And it makes you like, you know, calm the fuck down and listen. So I'm hoping that's what's happening. So far I'm hearing as such, but I'm sure we've lost some people, but it's like, you know, I guess there's that thing, you know, it's like, you gotta, if you can sit through this one, you've earned it. (laughs) You can sit still. Yeah. Then you're grown and you're mature enough to handle this. (laughs) I I thought of it so much as almost like a, a prologue, kind of just like a, not, obviously it's a part of the record and you feel it, it's part of the record, but it's almost kind of like a, um, like a shining light, like a solo light right on you Mm. to open the record. And I don't know, I felt like that kind of was a, um, an intention grabber, kind of like a, Hey, this is, this is the record and kind of like a, you know, like I said, kind of like a prologue in a way, like setting you up for, for the rest of the album. Well, good. No, I'm really glad that, It sounds like it's working. The effect is working, thank goodness. Yeah. This episode is in part brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. While Blue Light is still closed due to the pandemic, there is a way to help A, support Blue Light, and B, get a sense of that normalcy by visiting bluelightlubbock.com, clicking on the merch tab, and getting some koozies, a vast array of t-shirts and caps, And yes, even a blue light flag. While it is such a bummer that live music is still on hold right now, I'm telling you, by getting some blue light live merch, you're going to feel better. It just feels better wearing a t-shirt and ball cap and helping support your favorite bar. Again, that's bluelightlubbock.com. Click on the merch tab, get some merch. All right, back to the episode. Yeah. So obviously you, you worked with Shooter on this album and, you know, I think like for starters, um, we, we, I feel like journalists and and listeners, we always kind of have like this idea of, oh, the magical producer, like the, the person in that Rick Rubin kind of mythical style or like, you know, Phil Spector, like just kind of being a personality on, onto their own, on self, right? Like a colder personality in a way. Um, but talking with more artists, you kind of get more of the, so much of what a producer does is the, um, the organizer, right? The getting yeah. players in and getting, just making sure that, you know, the train stopping at the right time and everything. Um, what was it like with working with Shooter? Was it a little bit of both worlds as far as like, you know, him making sure things were going in a, you know, progressing 
um, as well as bringing in ideas or what, what kind of, what did you kind of feel that uh, he s- succeeded best or most at on the show? I mean, I suppose it's so funny cause I'm like, okay, yeah, it's like a project manager. I mean, yes, but I love the way he manages the project is like, it's gotta get done in a week and it's work fast and be spontaneous. That's why he gets the best players that for the job. And so because he's going to, it's, it's almost all just spontaneous or, or improv in that it's like the guys in the band didn't really get the songs, but like a couple days before we're, we're like just charting them right, right before we're tracking them. Um, and, and doing that, I believe that Shooter did that because he's like, he didn't want them to get attached to the demo at all because he was and is kind of like that Rick Rubin guy where it's like, you think you're going to track. Like for me, I thought I was going to track like, you know, some like straight up Buck Owens song. And then it ended up so psychedelic and so outside of what I thought, but so perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. That's funny that you did mention Rick Rubin. Cause I feel like Shooter has this like instinct that is just so unique, but so right and so fitting. There was never a moment or even, you know, maybe rarely a moment where he made some, some wild call call that wasn't the right fit. Um, yeah. So he's very innovative and very, um, spontaneous. Mm hmm. How much do you have to, obviously as someone who's never cut a record or anything, how much do you have to just kind of like let go or like be open to, uh, you know, other ideas and stuff like that? Oh, I mean a lot. Absolutely. And I think that's like historically what, what people understand of, of making an album. And for me, it was like, cause I produced a lot of my own stuff and, um, you know, instructed bands for a lot of years that, you know, so I would basically be orchestrating and arranging, mm-hmm. but so I had to kind of like set myself up and knowing Shooter really well, cause we'd been on the road for a few years and been friends. It was like, I had to really prepare myself every time I went in the studio to be able to pivot on a dime and be like, okay, I got you. Like really I had to take care of myself so well and be so prepared and so on the ball so that I could keep up with his mind, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, he's been, I guess like, you know, a part of these big projects as of late, you know, like the, I'm thinking like the American aquarium record, this record. Oh yeah. Uh, the, um, didn't he, he just produced, uh, the next Marilyn Manson album. He's just right. kind of like all of a sudden, um, I don't know if necessarily all of a sudden, all of a sudden, but, you know, being a of a voice as a as a producer is, I guess, like that shining light is 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 on him now as a as as one of these next bright up and coming producers. Yes, yeah, man, he's got two Grammys now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been he's been working on this on this craft, and it's um a really. I mean, he's an incredible artist, but I really believe he shines as a producer. And I think he can do big things. He's like, you know, he knows how to like just walk. He's so good in the studio. 
mm-hmm. and he, he shines. You know, like one of the things is that it's it's like he's again like if if you had said twenty years ago or twenty five he was going to produce a Marilyn Manson record, I think some people would maybe not think that that would happen. But yeah, they'd be like, no it's, way. <laughs> it's like you know he's um, it feels like he's very like unafraid of of you know going big and going like outside the box and like hey you know what this is just it's we don't have to use a label as far as rock and roll or country or it's just you know it's just american music yes exactly exactly he is not afraid of genres and formats he's like let's make great records because that's all we listen to or and you know i could say we because that engaged a lot about his record collection from being on tour with him. That's all we did was like listen to the albums after the show and listen to like legendary albums. And, and that's, you know, similarly, I, I do just want to make legendary albums. I don't care if, if I still get comments on Facebook, this isn't country. It's like, okay, it's, <laughs> it's music. And I think that I wouldn't bother wasting your time recreating a Merle Haggard record to the T or a Loretta Lynn record to the T because that'd be an insult to those artists and to the listener. I want to make something that is, you know, engaging mm-hmm. you know, and that's, exciting. So that's like Shooter's the perfect person for that, you know? Yeah. Cause you know, um, I guess like one of the, it's a double-edged sword with country music as far as, you know, tradition is such a, uh, that's what kind of, that can make what makes country music great. And then it's also like the, what holds it back in so many ways is the, yeah, yeah. the gatekeeping aspect of it all, because it's like, you know, somebody has to tell us what is and what isn't and, um, how country is it, or is it authentic country? Is it genuine? And, and I feel like that's all too exhausting. And there's so many, um, just like country as a whole, just feels like that you just feel the you know like all the as you said like the commentators on on facebook or on social media i guess just tell right. me that's not country or <laughs> i don't know to me that's really exhausting <laughs> oh my gosh yeah well yes it is exhausting if you want I just, I don't understand it because it's like, if I, if I want traditional country music, I'm going to listen to the great records that were already made. Exactly. I, it's, you know, it's been around for so many years. It's supposed to be, or it was traditionally simple chord progressions, simple melodies and simple lyrics. So, you know, we're bound to just be re- hashing the same things if we aren't step stepping outside of the box a little and um i just didn't want to do that um you know there's definitely i love um there's definitely ways to approach traditional even more traditional country music than mine but um i just i have so many influences too that i just and you know we talk about like leon russell it's like that's okay, that's not country, but he made some country music that was really good. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, artists like Elton John or like pop artists, they would take amazing aspects of country, rock and roll, blues and gospel. And it was just music and it was just great music. They didn't care 
you know, nowadays because pop, I think because pop radio is so saturated with, um, you know, money, like (laughs) so saturated with artists that just have a lot of money behind them. Um, that like, you know, we release things now, like I release records in the Americana genre and then, uh, and then, and in country cause I love country, but that it's like, there's just a smaller arena now for like, like what I'm saying is that Leon Russell was called pop. Tom Petty was called pop. Like, mm-hmm. uh, all these artists that actually had roots in like country and soul and, and, uh, traditional American music. Yeah. You know, one of the things it's always considered like a, a dirty word is like pop sensibility. It's like right. all of the stuff that you really love that's catchy and good has some pop sense to it. And I've, yes. I've never met somebody who is like, you know what I really love about this guy is that he is very difficult to listen to. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, it's, that just blows my mind. Um, yeah, but you know, like you, you mentioned Elton, like his, his early records, those are like, like just low key kind of country Western, you know, gunfighter ballad kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I just really, I love those early Elton records so much. Me too. I'm big Elton fan. That's awesome, man. It's like pop sensibility to me because of that you know, because my favorite artists were considered pop. Like I, I think it's a compliment if someone told me I had pop sensibility because I just, you know, the, the reason I'd written songs was to, you know, it's like to connect with others. And the more, um, you know, American music has this great, just catchiness to it, but also has, you know, really emotive things that, someone can adopt a melody. Like if I have pop sensibility, that means that more people can connect with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like obviously though, like one of the things about this new record that you have that to me is like a really traditional country thing is the, how you kind of, you marry the grief and like heartbreak with kind of the, you know, the self-loathing and humor like there's a lot of stuff on here that I I would kind of not like full on laughing or chuckling, but I'd go like, Oh, like <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny right there. Yeah. Yeah. Dark. That's the goal. Good. So like, no. I think like the, the one that just popped to mind is off L I V I N um, yeah. that I'm, I ain't afraid of dying. You know, I'm so scared of this L I V I N what, yeah. what, uh, when did that come together? Like where did, where were you? And like, when did that kind of pop up for you? Oh man, that is, well, it was, you know, I got sober again three years ago and I was on a war path, um, in my addiction and, you know, and then, even in early recovery, getting sober again, it was like, I could see clearly where my mindset was. And sometimes I still go there because it's just, you know, habit for a long, long time is like, um, 
you know, I, I'm, I could never really conform to like regular living and society, uh, as an artist and wanting to be a writer and wanting to be a, a player, like a musician mm-hmm. professionally. It's so difficult. It's just like, it's, it's considered quite irresponsible, but, um, you know, really I had just gone down such a, a dark depression that it was like, I, I didn't know how I was more comfortable, honestly, more comfortable with the idea of dying than having to face life every day and face, you know, the uphill battle of trying to manage and control an addiction. You know, that it's just, it's so difficult. Anyone tells you that addicts are lazy is (laughs) sorely mistaken. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, staying loaded every day is a full-time job and it's also miserable. Uh, so really, yeah, coming from that and, and experiencing a lot of grief too. Um, and then, and taking the hard road of, um, trying to do art for a living. Um, yeah, it, it got me to the point where it was just like easier to think about dying than it was living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like one of those, I don't even know if you necessarily did it on purpose or maybe I'm reading too far into it, but like what, one of the things that I really find so devastating in those lines is that you don't even say living, you, you spell it out. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't like even, I mean, I guess, right. I had, I definitely not really thought about it that way. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like there's like that's just one of those um obviously it's devastating and it's there's a lot of grief in there, but it's also really as far as like on the artistic side, it's very very beautiful and moving and touching. Oh, thanks, man. I I really appreciate that. I think that I think a lot of young people can relate and old old people too it's like it's just this it's the human condition that we all have and whether you know some people just prefer not to talk about you know those deep feelings of self-loathing or the the deep fears on a daily basis i just have had to sort of like look at my fears head on in order to move forward or or reconcile who I am and, and what I've done in order to move forward. I've, I've had to really like look everything head on and, and kind of look at the way I think about uh, life on life's terms. Um, you know, it's hard to lose people, you know, this, even like life is short and, um, you think about it. If you get like, I would become so critical. I'm like, what's the fucking point? I mean, mm-hmm we're here for a while we work our asses off jobs we hate and we don't get to see our loved ones enough you know and then life is short and they go and they leave us um or or we leave them and they've got to figure out how to you know afford to bury us it's like that sounds so dark and cynical but that was my experience i had also you know my dad had um passed away right after I released felony blues and he was a musician and he was, you know, rambling man. And, and he had like nothing to his name when he died. And, um, you know, literally to the point where we had raised money to, to cremate him. And, um, and that is often 
the story of the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen, I've definitely seen some darkness, but what I learned from like, you know, films and my favorite songwriters, I feel like people like Christofferson had great senses of humor and even Dylan, it was like things that were really tragic are also hilarious. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're, it's like watching a TV show where they're really, the main character is just so down on their luck and they're like, you know, trying to get to the job where the boss is so mean to them and they're like car breaks down and they're like, you know, stranded on the side of the road and a truck drives by and sprays mud all over them. It's like <laughs> hilarious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like and it's, it's also terrible luck. Yeah. It's, you've had those days where yeah. you just kind of go like, God, it, what else is going to go wrong? Can I, is there like a, a, a repeat button? Can I start over? Can I? Yeah. Um, and then like those days kind of, if they stick with you and years later you reflect on them, you're kind of chuckling to yourself. Like, how did I fucking survive that? Like, how did, like, yeah. how yeah. did I get on? To how the did next I day? not just like give up? Because that was probably like, the worst day ever but also kind of the funniest because you'll still yeah tell the story back and it's just like that no you had to have lied about some part of that and it you know but it's not it's the truth yeah you know you're talking about the you know just kind of being um just just knowing what i kind of call it is like just being like overly aware of of like yourself, I guess. And like the, yeah. um, what do they call it? Like when you have like a, uh, I'm forgetting the word an an existential crisis. Yes. Um, that's exactly what this album is about. That, like, <laughs> I feel like that's, I've always had a problem with those, like just kind of feeling yeah. like, well, what's the point? Like, why are we, if, if this is just going to be, is it, if this is just temporary, then what's the point? And I felt like I felt that like, since I was a kid and right. I feel like that's just one of those things that no one really talks about is feeling like that. And I, I don't know, like, I feel like either a, like kind of like you're saying, like no one talks about it or B is like, man, is there a way to just like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> get that part cut out or something like, you know, like yeah. it's the, like, <laughs> Uh, just kind of being like the happy idiot or something, or like, can someone switch right. that off? I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's like being um, a deep thinker and being painfully aware of just how temporary um, life is and how difficult and how painful it can be. It's like, that's kind of what I was getting at at times. I feel like um, I think that's the reason I've used drugs and alcohol because it's like, okay, this is the cheat. This is the best cheat that I ever learned was to like numb out on it because I'm, I'm painfully aware of this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, gosh, if it just worked and it didn't destroy my life and my mother and my loved ones, then sure I would have kept on doing it. But, um, you know, it, it is to be painfully aware, um, sometimes is, is also hilarious, you know, to just to be so observant, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, you've kind of, you've, um, 
framed this album as also kind of being your your LA album, this pocket of your life where you know you've had a whole lot of grief and heartbreak and struggle and pain and um, this self awareness, right? Um, and that it was all like when you were living in LA. Yeah, I guess like, do you feel like this is one of those things where um, you had to get these songs out and you're kind of ready to move on to what's next? Or do you feel it's just always going to be the, a part of, of you? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, it is also kind of like, even if I am able to, you know, I'm actually, it's, ironically, I'm actually pretty positive, like day to day, but I think I will always be deeply observant, um, and questioning of, of life. And, um, and I'll always be able to go to these sort of, I don't know if I'll always be grief stricken, but I can, I can recall, you know, because of the life I've lived, I, I will always be able to go to this particularly emotional place. Mm -hmm. And even when I'm, I'm sorry about that. Even when I'm, you know, I, I also am very empathetic towards others and, um, and it sounds like it, but I'm, it's just like a way that I process life. And I think it's important no matter how happy we are. Um, it, it doesn't mean just cause I write about things that are painful and sad or hard or just struggle. Right. Um, that's, <laughs> that is also like, quintessential of Los Angeles is the struggle, um, or New York city for that matter, matter, but that it's just difficult. Um, I don't know, man, maybe I'll be su successful one day and I'll get so out of touch, but I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I think I'll be successful, you know, cause to me, success, I've, I've set the bar pretty low. It's just, you know, <laughs> but I think I'll be successful, but that, um, I don't think I'll ever uh, be out of touch with what is, you know, the basic human condition. I wanted to talk to y'all one more time about our new partners at Desert Door and offer up a handful of my favorite ways to drink it. Get you a Mexican Coca-Cola, have a couple of swigs, then pour yourself some Desert Door Oak aged in, toss in a lime wedge or two. Or how about this? Pour some Desert Door into a mug, top off the glass with some ginger beer, squeeze in a lime, or for all you ranch water drinkers out there, get you a Topo Chico, take a couple of pulls off, and then pour in some Desert Door. Toss in a couple of lime wedges, and now you have a mighty tasty and refreshing ranch water. Remember, Soto is as versatile as vodka and has a more refined, smooth, and a more complex palate than tequila. It's rich and balanced, and, and whatever your go-to drink is, it'll make it that much better. And again, it's inherently West Texas. It tastes like home. For more info on Desert Door, check our show notes. All right, that's it for Thomas Mooney's Cocktail Minute. Let's get back to the show. The most important part of being a songwriter is being able to tap into that empathy. As Yes. Uh, which is kind of, I'm just thinking about when you, when you mentioned that. I'm kind of thinking about it right now, thinking like, it's strange because there's like, it's kind of on opposite ends as like the songwriter like the, probably the most, the, the essential aspect is empathy, 
but being like yes. the, the front man or the front woman, like that's almost like just like being so self-indulgent, right? Like the keys oh, to right, like the, yeah. and those are kind of like on polar opposites, even though most of the time those are like the same person. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I'm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know, yes, the front, front man and woman has been, you know, can also be that very, very, you know, attention starved child, adult child. Mm -hmm. But, um, but at the same time to write and sing for people, um, you've got to be able to speak to them and understand a, a wide variety of people and discuss general enough themes, um, to reach a lot of people and, and, um, and understand the basics of, I think the human condition and the human struggle. Yeah. It's, it's like so often like the front person is mistaken, you know, for this like, clown right and mm -hmm. and the story the plight of the clown is is their sadness right um like that classic song tears of a tears of a clown when there's no one around right um you know and and probably you know i've always wanted to entertain people and and i was kind of a class clown and i, I like to uh cheer up my family always when i was little because i did understand how how sad um, how sadness feels and, and how, you know, if I could just be the cheerleader and like help people through that, it, it filled, it satisfied something so deeply in me. Yeah. Yeah. The, have you, have you ever seen the Rolling Stones live or like even just like on YouTube or something like that? Yeah. I've watched a bunch of their documentaries and, and YouTube videos. I, um, I can't remember if it was, I read it somewhere or what, but they were talking about how if you watch the Rolling Stones, it's like watching two separate shows. Like Mick Jagger has his own show and then like Keith Richards and the rest of the band are doing their own thing. And sometimes they interact and they come together, but it's almost like two bubbles happening at once. Like when Mick's yeah. like the front man out there on stage, he thinks like everyone came to see him. And then like, he <laughs> yeah. thinks like they all came to see them. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is so funny for sure. And I, I for watched, sure. after that, I watched like I was watching some clips or like a live doc or something or, you know, a concert or something like that online. And it was very much that it was so funny, like <laughs> having that little bit of like, oh, yeah, I guess that is very true. But um, yeah, you yeah, know, the singer is always in their own universe, though, I think. <laughs> Yeah, like the, you know, this all kind of goes back, all ties to one of my big things is that I think as journalists, as fans, as just even just as an other, as someone else, an, a, a different individual outside the, the um, when, we, when we look at artists, we typically project like our ideas of who that person is. And sometimes we miss the, Kind of like like you're saying like that that sadness the the in in that person or the just because they're singing about this doesn't necessarily mean like that's them twenty four seven right exactly exactly um, yeah for you like obviously so many of these songs are you you're so honest right you're 
there's a lot of brutal honesty in mm-hmm. these songs. Um, have you ever had any hesitation on, on writing that, I guess like, you know, that, that cuts that deep, that close, or is that just always kind of been natural for you? No, it definitely hasn't. I've filtered a lot for a lot of years as to what I was okay saying. And I think honestly, as I get older, the more honest I want to be, the more brutally honest I want to be. And, um, but yeah, I've done a lot of editing for a lot of years as far as like what I was actually going to say. And there have been times, yeah, you know, especially in writing this album, where I'm like, oh, is that too much to say? Should I not be singing about ketamine? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, this is a country album. Um, but it's it's not like just because we pretend things don't happen doesn't mean they're not actually happening. And so I just found for me that it was like, gosh, everything's already been said. Um, again, I just am really reaching for ways to entertain that is different and visceral and relatable. Mm-hmm. For you, like if you kind of have like your perfect conditions, I know songs don't come the same way every time or anything, but if you had like the perfect conditions, what's kind of like your, your setup? Are you like a pen and pad guitar, quiet room, mm-hmm. morning, evening? What are you kind of, if you just have like all the, the rightness in the, in the mm. Yeah, you know, actually, I I write a lot traveling because mm-hmm. I can just look out the window and sort of daydream. I was doing that in school growing up, too, <laughs> looking out the window and writing lyrics <laughs> while I was supposed to be learning something in class. But um, I, yeah, pen, I just do a lot of, like, pre-writing and the on pen and paper throughout the day. Um, and I think of different lines throughout the day as I'm doing anything. Um, it's good for me to like start the morning, you know, thinking about a song, uh, like visiting some song ideas. And then they kind of seem to write themselves while I'm doing other things. Um, then I go back to like that quiet room and run some different ideas and look at the lyrics on, uh, then it'll make it to the computer and I'll look at the story and see how things are connecting. And, you know, but it, it's interesting. I write most, mostly melodies and lyrics are first. Um, then it'll get, then I know, sort of now I've been playing music for a long time. So I'm like, oh, that's going to happen over the four chord or that's going to happen over the, you know, it'll go four to the two there. It's going to start with the chorus or, mm-hmm. um, so I kind of know just because of, it's just pop music, thankfully. Um, so yeah, I kind of just write in my head mostly <laughs> and sleeping. I always work things out when I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I always think that like, that's something else we romanticize so much about is the, the writing process, right? Like, Oh, you know, I went in there and my, 
just kind of happen, right? I just, and I feel, I feel like sometimes we've learned from all our heroes, like the, the, the way to make, to write is really, really cool. Like just kind of effortless. And yeah, so much of it is like, if you're making it look effortless, that means that you've done so much work to make it look cool. Exactly. And, you know, I've always wondered like how much of it is before you even get the pen and paper out or the guitar out or the piano or what, how much of the, the writing process is happening in the, before you even get all the, the materials together, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. For me, maybe for me, it's like 70% in my head and 30%, um, with an instrument, but then it's still 50, 50 when it comes to inspiration versus work and rolling up my sleeves and, and Mm -hmm. getting down to business. It's really 50, 50 in that way. Yeah. How, uh, how many songs do you often get like in a, let's just say like a month period, like how many, not necessarily finished or like this is totally done or anything like that, but like generally how many songs are you kind of working with in a, a um, if, if I'm, let's see, if, if, if I, I don't know, maybe it's like, you know, 10 to 15 a month, like new ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm in a good, good spot otherwise it's like if i'm really really right now i'm promoting a record so maybe it's like five because i'm work i'm actually working a lot on promoting and all the other stuff trying to make a living (laughs) um so it's like yeah maybe it's like five a month right now Mm -hmm. but if i'm not on the road i it's closer to like 10 and 10 15 yeah just a lot of stuff to, to see a lot of people to meet I'm assuming just to, to kickstart those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. The seed. Yeah. We, I call them seeds. (laughs) They're always like, I've got this seed of an idea. And then sometimes also like I'll pull from, I still have songs from like 10 years ago that I still want to finish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those ones that you just kind of, you can't shake loose. Right. And then, and then never like, you know, there's like the rewriting, but then there's the forcing of things that doesn't work. And, you know, so it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. You know, between those two. like for, obviously I'm not a songwriter, but working on articles sometimes, like if I'm trying yes. to like, Oh, you know, I need to get this done and I need to, if I start just being too, uh, forceful in a way, like nothing happens. It's like, yeah, I know I need to like step away and just kind of, you know, go wash the dishes or go outside exactly. for a while or something because then it kind of does work itself out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and, and because, um, you know, cause I don't like, uh, drink or smoke weed or do anything anymore like that way. Um, meditation is really helpful for me and like exercise and gardening and, um, you know, out in nature that those things really do make a difference. And it's, it's interesting that like, you know, like working really hard on a home improvement project is, is like just as beneficial as say smoking a joint would be back in the day for me when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, again, like the people I've talked with in these last few months, 
It has been the, because I feel like it's so easy to, especially in this downtime, it's easy to just kind of start drinking every day or something at noon. Right. Um, but, yeah. you know, the gardening thing, um, going on hikes, um, yeah, all kinds of stuff like that, just to fill up the time, occupy the time. Yeah. It, it all helps. That's important. Yeah. It's important because, yeah, it's just the, you know, even more well-meaning people or less uh, troubled people than myself are going to get in the trouble from, because there is so many limitations on how we can live right now. Mm -hmm. And the lack of social interaction is definitely affecting mental health. It's just, it's, you know, we've got to be so careful and watch out for our friends um, and check on our friends who are, uh, who might become, caught up in the sadness and then, and, or, um, you know, just without access to the normal routines. Yeah. Start, you know, drinking real early or whatever and, and, uh, and self-destruct. Yeah. You, you know, that's, I guess like really back in March, April, that's when I really became aware of that because, um, I'm such a, I can just be by myself. I'm fine. Like yeah. just hanging out by myself and, you know, uh, this has been like a, in a lot of ways, like a, a walk in the park, but I was, it, it, what it made me do is like, it was made me so aware of how many of my friends were just kind of, you know, uh, drowning out there in the, mm. just by themselves, you know, in that idle kind of world, just, uh, you know, isolation was not the best thing for them. And the, right. the interaction with people, with strangers that's like <laughs> is uh so beneficial for them and that's how yeah. they've been able to to get on that's what gives them energy and for me I was you know I'm just kind of like oh god a stranger I don't want to talk to a stranger at all <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh no small talk. I don't like yeah. small talk yeah we're well, writers yeah uh yeah we we are more comfortable with our alone time and downtime I think typically Mm -hmm. I'm sort of both, you know, I'm an introvert, but now I found after all these years that at least with other musicians, I really get so much energy from other musicians and other artists and, and people that appreciate art. So, you know, the people that I made at my shows and stuff that they've studied music and they're passionate and they're, they have trained ears and they've been, you know, I think avid music listeners, just as avid readers, are almost almost even more well trained than the actual writer or the musician um, to listen for things and to study other people's work. And um, so, I really love those interactions. I miss those interactions. On you know, after the show, I actually really enjoy talking to people after the show. Yeah. Um, because it's like, you know, it's, yeah, sure, it's about my show, but it's about music. We're in the same place for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all at the show because we appreciate music and the power of it. Yeah, that's obviously like that part is just cut out by doing um, like live streams because, you know, it's, you, you're just, you're having a, I'm sure you've watched a whole bunch of like YouTube or not YouTube, but um Instagram live streams or Facebook live streams. And yeah. you know, after a song, 
people lean in to read the comments because there's no <laughs> applause or like there's no nobody so saying something. I know. Or... <laughs> I know it's like weird because it's just so different. But right. like, yeah, I've definitely just looked at the band and been like, well, <laughs> all right, next one, I guess. Because you're like, it's so different. You're yeah. just like, normally you get the applaud and you're like, right, okay, next one. And then now you're just kind of like, all right, cool. You never thought you were going to miss that drunk guy by the bar who's just yelling. Oh my God, I missed the whatever. heckler. Yeah, <laughs> even the hecklers. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was – you're very, very fashionable. You've got like a lot of oh, thanks. great suits and, and you know, uh, jackets and hats and stuff like that. And I guess I read that you, you, you and your mother have like designed some stuff, designed a lot of the stuff you've worn. Yeah. What is that like? What's that kind of, that process? Oh, yeah, that's, it's really, that's really um, almost as equally rewarding. It's become like another... I don't know, art for me, I can't actually make the clothes. Like my mother's a great seamstress and she can't actually make the clothes, but, but even her, even still like we hire like a younger seamstress and then we design it together. Um, and it's just, it's really fun. Like we'll just like send images back and forth. I'm always like pulling up, you know, images of Elvis and Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and like, in combination with like Graham Parsons and, you know, George Jones. And I'm like, okay, so we want to melt these two worlds. Um, mm-hmm. and then the pros tell me how we can do it. Um, my mother's taught me a lot about just how, like, you know, just how design with suits, you know, the visual design and where the lines are and how the fit is so important. Even a tiny little fit will change the whole look. And, uh, it's been cool. It's been really educational. Um, and it's also like a no, another form of expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was a whole lot of, you know, you going into and finding a lot of vintage stuff and reworking it, or if it was all kind of like new fabric kind of. Oh yeah. It's well, it started with vintage and it still is a lot of vintage too, but lately it's been just like, Cause now vintage is getting expensive and it sometimes it can cost just as much to tailor something as it would to just like make it from scratch. Um, and, uh, so, so lately we've been making a lot of suits. Yeah. Yeah. The, which is fun. Like my, my parents, they were, they were never like in that kind of vintage, that style, but like really nineties country kind of stuff. And, I always just kind of kick myself because I'm like, man, had I had all that stuff, if we just didn't have as many garage sales growing up, we yeah, would have, we would have like the have best it. like Etsy store uh, available no. or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, just kind of one of those things. You're like, man, for sure. At the time, oh yeah, you kind of look at your yeah, parents and you're it's like, worth, it's worth something now. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. That's uh, I, I find that interesting the the fashion aspects because so much of yeah. of rock and roll and American music or just music in general is the, the outfit, you know, the, yes. Um, Charlie Crockett, obviously like he's, mm-hmm. he's got great, his style, own great style. style and, um, yeah, I, I feel like that's all like, that's part of what makes it cool. Yeah, man. And it's like, also I feel it's a response, you know, 
and Dwight Yoakam will attest to this, but like we have a responsibility stepping on stage. Those people are out on a date or they took their like paycheck to come to your show. You better dress up for them. You better fully entertain them, mm-hmm. you know, outfit and all. It's a, uh, you know, hopefully the show is an experience where it's like, it's exciting to dress up. I think it's fun. Um, it just elevates the whole show too. It's like, I get in my, you know, it's like putting on a suit. If you want to sell a good car, you know, you, you gotta like step into character. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned old songs a second ago, kind of, you know, some that are, that still have you, that you're kind of like, Mm. I need to finish these up or I need to bring them back or something. The, I guess like the first time I heard you was you had a song on the Wicker Park soundtrack, which I think is... Oh, really? You heard that? Yeah. Like, well, that's, in my opinion, that Wicker Park soundtrack, it was like always kind of considered less so than like the, uh, I guess like the Grey's Anatomy and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, like, but I think it's so underrated. The rival movie was um, like Garden, Garden State, State. Yeah. which was so good. And that soundtrack, I say rival, the soundtrack was, you know, in the same vein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like I, that song, Light Switch, like where did you, I guess like how did that even happen? Oh, I was in Northern California and I was stoned and I looked at the light switch and I thought I, rem- I just compared it to my life. I was like, <laughs> I, I was, you know, I was 17, but I was like, yeah, sometimes I can figure it out. Sometimes I can find the light switch. <laughs> yeah. But I was actually kind of meaning more like, how did it end up on the wicker park? <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> let's, let's remember that answer forever. Uh, well, how did it get on? Oh, yeah. My first record deal was with that company that was a movie company called Lakeshore Entertainment. The record label is called Lakeshore Records, therefore. And they had uh, produced the film and then they were doing the soundtrack and I had to deal with them. And they were, I still had to pitch quite a few songs to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it got on there and I was very proud of that. And it was, it was pretty fun for being so young and you know, from small town. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, like that, the, I I don't even remember watching Wicker Park, but I remember that soundtrack. Like the soundtracks of that time are very indie centric. Right. And yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I always felt like the Wicker Park was, uh, an underrated soundtrack for starters. And I feel like, I don't know, like Buzzfeed or Pitchfork or someone's going to write a, do you remember the Wicker Park soundtrack? It's criminal. Oh yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome if they did? It'd be good for me. (laughs) Yeah. It was a great soundtrack. I was really stoked to be on that because I just thought those were some heavy hitters. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, both new and old, they had like old Mazzy star on there, but they also had like the postal service and death cab for cutie and stereophonics. Um, That was, yeah, that was pretty hip. Yeah. Then there was like, I know everyone kind of shits on Coldplay, but there was, that, oh like, yeah. There was that cover of The Scientist, which I think that song's great. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. And I can't remember who covered The Scientist. Was it Mum? Uh I don't think so. I, I can't remember who okay. it was, but um I can pull it up, but it was I'm so impressed that you even know that soundtrack. Okay. It is by Danny Loner and Jonette 
Napolitano. That's who it's by. I didn't know that. Um, you there? Yeah, I was just thinking that I. I think I know those people. <laughs> are they? Are That's they? so funny. I think they're in LA, and I think I might have. One's an engineer and a producer. Mm -hmm. um, that's so interesting. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So now we're going to pretend we cut back in here, like <laughs> naturally. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things I was wanting to also, also ask you about is um, Neil Castle plays a lot on this album. And this was like one of yes. the last um, albums he worked on before passing away. What, yeah. like, what, uh, how did, how did he get involved? Like, what was, when did he, I guess, get involved to, to play on the record? Yeah. To, when did he come on board for the album? Mm -hmm. Um, he, you know, yeah, we had someone else, um, slated to record and then they couldn't do it. And Shooter and I were brainstorming and he called me up and Shooter called me up and was like, Hey, what about Neil Cassell? I've worked a lot with him and, um, I said, well, yeah, I mean, if he'll do it, absolutely. I just, I would guess that guy's going to be booked and this might not be big enough or pay enough for him. And, um, but Neil's like, Neil really connected with, with the songs and, and, um, he was on board. It was really cool. Cause I'd met him several times and we'd talked about writing songs together, but I'd just been too intimidated. Um, I just really, really, really loved his his work um, for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. So when he came on board, I was very surprised and super honored. And um, he he delivered full. I mean, there's just like there's a lot of layering of guitars that are just all nail um, on this album. And it wouldn't have, this album would sound so different if he wasn't, you know, on the recordings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I talked with Zephaniah O'Hora the other day and he's, oh, wow. Neil had produced his last record too. So like yes. these two projects are kind of in that, those last, they're definitely like in the, the running as like, you know, the, the last batch of stuff he worked on and. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Neil was talking about that record. He was really proud of that. Yeah. Have you listened to it? You know, I've heard a couple of cuts are very good, um, but I haven't heard the whole record yet. Yeah. And I think, did he just release the whole album? Yeah, it came out, I guess, uh, last week, last Friday. Okay. So. Yeah, well, now I can listen to the whole album. I appreciate that reminder. Yeah, it's, it's so good. I just, I feel like, you know... Um, for me, I guess, like, and for a lot of people, I think the touchstone with Neil is his work with the Cardinals, and yes, that's yep. If it's what I was just so amazed that, uh, especially with Zeph's record, is like it's very in that very classic country vein, and it right. just works so well. And then, of course, with this record, you know, it, it shows just how, you know, the I think like the worst thing you can do is just kind of shoehorn someone as a as being this one kind of person as an artist and or this kind of player and um, right dismiss them as 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 just being that kind of that one trick pony or whatever those tricks are for that pony you know yeah yeah well i think that the 
the really, what I've learned about musicians like Neil is if they don't know something, they will learn how to do it and they will study and they do their homework because they won't deliver anything less than. And, um, I, and I remember saying that Neil had dug into a lot of, a lot of different years of country while he was working with Zeph on that. And, um, and he, he'd done his homework. I mean, it, the, the guy was just so musical and so capable of so many different things. Yeah. It, it, it I remember it surprised me that Neil was producing, um, Zeph and I's album because I knew it'd be so 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 country that mm -hmm. I would, and I even was like to Shooter, you think he? I mean, he's a great player. You think he can like pull off the super country stuff? And he did, and he does. Um, yeah, he he really he really nailed it for me, um, especially because we're both such Rolling Stones fans. Mm -hmm. um, and he, you know. <laughs> Ironically, that that English band uh, really did country so well. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, that was kind of always uh, when I was, I guess, when I was younger, I was always like, actually, the best like American country band is the Stones. You know, kind of like yeah. being serious, but yeah. also joking in a way. But yeah, like the especially that stuff they did in Muscle Shoals, and uh, you know, they just. A really a lot of really if they could if they wanted to they could have just been a a quote unquote country band for sure for sure for sure man oh yeah yeah oh uh, man and the girl with the faraway eyes is so great too just that whole banter mm -hmm. um that that Mick does well, I was driving through Bakersfield <laughs> yeah early Sunday morning yeah and I heard the preacher come on yeah it said the Lord is always on your side. <laughs> so yeah, good yeah i love that right there the and i like that faraway eyes thing that's just like kind of like the like underrated sadness right there oh yeah just the the description of that and um yeah i don't know i really love the stones too what's For kind sure. of like your your go-to what's record? my go-to what's like that album like if you're if you're kind of like your go-to album that if you were oh, at like a little God. party or something and you, you know, you got the, the record player and you pull out. You know, it stuff. used to be that I'd put on let it bleed because it had mm -hmm. monkey man on there and stuff. But, uh, it used to be let it bleed or sticky fingers, but nowadays it's, I'm all about exile again. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it's really that the, the, <laughs> the drug days, uh, the stones are my favorite. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love exile on main street, uh, sweet Virginia. I like to cover that song a lot. Um, and, uh, torn and frayed and, but Shine then, you know, right. let it bleed's got, uh, love and cup on there. Um, yeah, but I, I, I'm all about exile these days. I'm, I'm back on that trip. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm still like on sticky fingers. Are you? Yeah, Sticky Fingers is, is is it's a legendary piece of work. Yeah, I feel like that back half of like with Sway and stuff like that is just mm. just so, um, just like a, the I just love that mood. You know what I mean? Just did they did that one have Moonlight Mile on it? Uh, I think that's on Let It Bleed. Oh, okay, all right. See, yeah. I'm still yeah. Sticky Fingers is is also the best artwork. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a copy of it that actually has like the, the working zipper. Working zipper. So, that's worth a lot of money. That, that vinyl. Yeah. That's why I, that was like, that's the, the vinyl nerd part too. Like when I saw it, I was like, Oh, I have to get this one right here because this one has the, it's the same working price. Zipper. As the yes. Other yes. One. Very good. Right. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Yeah, the, uh, I think like where I'm trying to think of where I got that at. Um, this is like a dumb story, but uh, I think where I got it was there was this garage sale where this guy was selling like all his vinyl and he had like a garage sale or I mean a garage worth of vinyl. And I think oh, like nice. his whole thing was like he had bought like everything in double copies because he, A, just in case one of them wore out, which like nothing wore out. <laughs> but uh, also because he thought like his kids would want them and then like his kids and his grandkids just, it was kind of a sad story in that aspect. But they didn't want anything to do with those yeah, vinyl records. And I bought like boxes of, from, from him. Yeah. Like, we worked out what like, tools? Yeah. I got like so much Dylan. I think I got, I think I got a few stones in there. Um, nice. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know. Side story. What Dylan records did you get? You're not going to believe it. I got like everything. Right now, uh, my Dylan collection is everything from the 62 debut up to Planet Waves. Um, nice. and then I've got like a Very couple good. of, a couple of newer ones in there, but he, he releases, he released so many records. It's just so hard to <laughs> I know. have it all. Um, yeah. So that's the, do you have a favorite Dylan? Same, same question. You're putting a Dylan record on though. Oh, you know, what's funny is I actually really love, um, Nashville skyline. Mm-hmm. I love Nashville skyline. Um, and then I love the one with she belongs to me. Um, I think that's another side of Bob Dylan. Yeah. Oh, but also blonde on blonde. Yeah. Like it, what, what amazes me about guys like Dylan and the stones is that like the, they, they they have like classic records, 15, 20 years apart. That, yeah. That's right. what gets me. So like, holy shit is like blonde on blonde and blood on the tracks are 10 years apart. That's 60. Mm. That's like 65 and 75. And Right. You know, with the Stones, um, like what? Let's see here. Like Let It Bleed, Let it bleed is like 69 and like Some Girls is 78. You know? mm, so some like, Girls great, yeah. Yeah, that's another great one. The only song <laughs> that like, I don't like necessarily is Shattered. I feel like that's like... <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, annoys know. me. <laughs> okay, so thank Okay, I didn't know if that was like a hot take where people were going to ride in or something. So... <laughs> <laughs> No, you're. I'm on the same page. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You know, it's been really great talking with you today. I think we've yeah, good times. A lot of ground here. So for sure, Thomas. I loved your questions. Thank you so much for it. But it's, it's been a really, really inspiring conversation. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to New Slang once again. Check out Neon Cross by Jamie Wyatt. If you haven't just yet, check out our presenting sponsors, Desert Door and the Blue Light Live. All right, I will see y'all next week.